0: Welcome to another episode of Come Through, Black Sheep. I'm your host, Bako Lichtman. This week, I caught up with Sabia Wade, a Black, queer, full-spectrum doula, to discuss her new book, Birthing Liberation, How Reproductive Justice Can Set Us Free. In addition to her work as a doula, Sabia is also the founder and CEO of Birthing Advocacy Doula Training and For the Village, which provides free doula services to all families in the San Diego area with an emphasis on marginalized groups such as people of color, LGBTQIA, and low-income families. Please visit comethroughblacksheep.com where you'll find a link to Sabia's website and her book. I really had a blast talking with her. I love the work she's doing, and I loved her energy. So kick back and enjoy the interview. Savia, it's so good to be with you. Welcome.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: No, thank you.
1: So look, let's
0: just jump right in. When I found out about your book, Birthing Liberation, How Reproductive Justice is Set is Free, I realized I absolutely had to connect with you. So where do you come from? Let's start there.
1: Where do I come from? So I'm originally from Jersey. I'm oh. a girl. Okay, <laughs> so I don't know how you feel about that, but that's where I'm from. In my brain, okay. I was like thinking the other day, like you know, with being black, like when people are like where you're from, you like because I think the ancestry. I'm like I'm Nigerian. I'm this. I'm that. But I'm like. I'm also from Jersey. You're a
0: Jersey girl. Okay. Okay. Well, what I'm generally looking for, I'm a key, I'm an East Coast boy. So I'm from Maryland originally. So that's, you're we're good. It's kind of that East Coast, West Coast thing for me. So you're good though. You're good. <laughs> <laughs> I did
1: live on the West
0: Coast though for like three years. Uh, oh, that's right. San Diego. So let's start with, tell us a little bit about your journey from nursing to becoming a full spectrum doula.
1: Yeah, so long starting, less long. Um, you know, I was a youth, and I was, like, <laughs> I was like, I'm 34 now, um, which so I you're guess a baby. Me. You oh, you're a baby. No, <laughs> like when these people look at you like you're younger, they're, they're like, you should know better, you know. I hear it. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> but I, like when I was a, like younger, I was like, okay, I really love taking care of people. Like I thought, I knew, I knew I loved caring for people. And I think I learned that from being in a restaurant business because you know customer service and food is a whole a whole thing. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I became a nursing assistant, started working in hospital spaces. Um, was work like working in a rehab space, so I'm working anything from like gunshot wounds to organ transplants to this to that to wow. so whatever. Um, and in that space, though, I, I never really worked with anyone that was like in the quote unquote maternity space. Um, so I remember one time I was like in that space, and someone was having a miscarriage. They were there for some other injury that happened, but they were having a miscarriage. And I remember, like, no one knew what to do. Like, it was just so awkward. And I was like, this has to be, like, from my understanding, at the time, I wasn't a doula yet, but I was like, from my understanding, like, this happens, like, this is a regular occurrence, so how come right. nobody knows what to do? Um, and at the same time, I was living in Philly, getting acquainted with doulas, getting, like, learning about, because I was really into the Philly community, like, art scene. Mm -hmm. So in here you get all the medicine people, you get all the like, you know, like Philly is a whole vibe. I would live in Philly again if I like wasn't anti-cold, right? (laughs) (laughs) But like from there, I learned about doulas and I was interested in long time, less long. I ended up moving to Massachusetts that, what was I doing? Anyway, actually I was chasing love if we're we're being honest.
0: Okay. Okay.
1: I was like, I was a baby queer. I was like, my ex was there. I was like, I'm going to figure this out. Like, but I knew that it wasn't going to work. Okay, in my spirit, <laughs> I knew that. But at the same time, I was like, before I move up there, I want to make sure that there's something that is for me, right? Because I don't want to just, you know, just be dwindling in my queerness. So I was like, <laughs> so I found um the the Prison Birth Project. I found their website. And so, basically, the Prison Birth Project was a volunteer full spectrum doula um, program nonprofit that provided care for incarcerated, formerly incarcerated people in substance abuse or in recovery. And I was like, I want to do that. Um, and so, I remember I hit them up, you know, hit them up on the Facebook. I was like, Are you taking volunteers? And they were like, No, not right now. And me being me, I waited like two weeks or whatever, and I sent the email. And I said, hey, are you, taking, are you taking volunteers right now? And they were like, oh, yeah, we actually are taking, like, our first, like, you know, cohort of volunteers. And so before I even left from Philly to Massachusetts, I was already signed up with them. And then, you know, we had to, I remember we did our interview process. And my teacher, the one who you know, really brought me into this work, Marion Bullock, she was like, I remember your interview. I was like, why should we, like, why should you work with PVP? And I was like, because I'm black as hell.
0: Okay. And that was
1: and I was like, and I was like, that that's me. Yeah, that's yeah. me. So, <laughs> so I started working with them and um, I did that for two years. And that was the foundation of my work, like being, you know, working with incarcerated folks, reproductive justice, gender inclusion, disparities. Like that was the beginning of dual work for me. It wasn't like, oh, here's a picket fence and a baby and a this. It was like this person just got out of jail or this person is in jail, <laughs> like this person is working, you know, like that was my introduction into reproductive justice and dual work. Wow.
0: I love that. I love that. It's really kind of bringing, like drawing on your background and your interests in terms of healthcare and caring for people and social justice and identities and all. Yeah. That and it's like
1: wild, right? Because you, you go into spaces and you don't always know, like, what it means. You just know that you want to be there. Right. And I knew that I wanted to be there. I knew that it was different from healthcare in the way of like, I wasn't going to be working for a big system. So I'd be able to say what I want to say. Right. Right. Um, but even then I was like, I had never seen a baby be born. I didn't. I didn't, I really didn't know. What it meant. Right. Right. But like, I, you know, I look at, I look back at that now, right? Like that was on the 15. So I look at it now and I'm like, who knew like now my whole life is this work.
0: Exactly. Exactly. You know, and that really came through in the book. You know, birthing liberation. It's interesting because I, like many people who I personally am not a birthing person, I'm not intimately involved with anyone who's really been through that process. I mean, of course, friends who've had children, but not really up close and personal. So I didn't really know a lot about it. And so, really, uh, the work of a doula, I think, of providing guidance and support for birthing people. But your book, I felt. I felt really pulled in, and it was clear to me that you are approaching this in a very different way, much more holistic, and particularly when you look at the subtitle of your book around reproductive justice. So I'm hoping you can tell us what is reproductive justice, and how does that connect to your work as a doula?
1: Yes, so Reproductive Justice, um, to give you a quick history lesson, (laughs) it was formed um, by Loretta Ross. and. Other Black women who were um, the women of African descent. The reason why it was created was in the nineteen sixties, eighties, through the eighties. There was second wave feminism, so people know about feminism generally speaking. Mm-hmm. Um, but at that time period, it was like the conversation was: we want equal pay. It was mostly middle class white women who were like: we want equal pay, we want you know access to abortion, we want you know these kind of things. But in that conversation, a lot of voices were being left out, right? Because you know, black, brown, indigenous, queer people, trans people are like, we're we're not even having a conversation of equal pay. We want access to work. <laughs> like, period. Right? Like, yes, we want access to abortion, but we need access to health care. Like, right? Like these things are very what you're talking about still has some layer of privilege that we can't it's not my fight. We're right? not even there yet. We're not even there yet. So, you know, um Loretta Ross and, you know, the group of women of African descent were like, we need to we need to work on that. And that became the formation of reproductive justice, right? So reproductive justice is the understanding, like, your ability to have kids, not have kids, and to raise your kids in safe and sustainable communities. And I think it's really important, like, when you're thinking about reproductive justice, people automatically go into, like, having babies, right? Like, okay, you have a baby. like, And I think that that situation is so isolated. But if you're not, if you're not a birthing person, if you're not interested in having babies, right? But like reproductive justice is literally the water that we drink, right? Do you have access to clean water, right? What does that water do to your body? How does that impact your body? Reproductive justice is having transportation. Can you get to and, to and from work safely and not have to wait for the bus for four hours, right? Like reproductive justice is everything because all of us are born, Period. All of us are born. And so, in that, it's about like the awareness of that part of like all of us are born and all of us deserve to have what we need to be in this world and to thrive in this world. That even if you think about that, you're like, damn, that takes away a lot of, you know, like, and then also, obviously, it's about the politics, right? Around access to abortions or access to, like I said, clean water, especially if you're an indigenous person, right? Like access to the, I mean, Flint, right? Like we talk about Flint, like, but and, and people think about like, I'm like, yo, it's literally down to the water because if you're drinking bad water, that's messing with your body. If you wanted to have a kid, you're going to have, you know, like there's literally so many things that are connected. So I always say like reproductive justice is not just for people that have a uterus. It's for everybody. Right. It's about how our men are perceived, about the, the, the safety that our men have, the toxic masculinity. Like all these things are reproductive justice and i'm like at the basis it's like we're all born we all should have what we need and we all should be able to die feeling fulfilled yeah,
0: <laughs> like, right 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 i see it i love that i love that i mean again i just don't hear enough of that when we're looking at these issues and and again typically we think of the work of a doula dealing with just the birth itself and again you are really truly looking at this in terms of the larger picture. Yeah, yeah. I and mean, even
1: when you yeah. think about doulas, right, like traditionally, not even traditionally, I think people, when they hear about doulas, they think about us just in the birth aspects, right? Like, they're like, okay, you attend births, but really, doulas are there for every reproductive situation, but also we're, we're there for, like, a lot of things that I've been focusing on in my practice for the last two years has been end-of-life doula care, right? So oh. end the black doula care is literally helping people to prepare for death, it's also helping them to have conversations around death, even if they aren't in that space of about, you know, whatever. It's to help people to grieve around death. It's also to even literally physically hold someone's hand as they die, right? So, like, doula work is not It's not just my my idea of what I would love to bring to the world. It's not that everyone has to be a doula, because it ain't for everybody, right? Right. <laughs> it's
0: right, right, right.
1: Everyone is approaching life in the ways that doulas approach their work. right? Because the way that we approach it is holistically. We're like, hey, what's going on with you physically, emotionally, spiritually? Like, And that's the way that we should approach life. And if I can like get people to have that approach to life that way, I think we would change some things. Yeah.
0: Okay. Well, look, I'm going to have to hit you up again (laughs) later about the death doula work. I'm going to tell you why. I'm actually in a year-long course right now um, called A Year to Live. And kind of looking at death and dying, and it's kind of rooted oh, in mindfulness that. and so on. It's um, actually out of a meditation center in Northern California. Mm-hmm. Anyhow, so it's online. I've been doing it. It's great. Um, love the teachers. They're doing a really great job and a lot of uh, creating uh, a lot of support for um, for BIPOC folks and mm-hmm. also LGBT. It's, it's wonderful. But I've been dying, no pun intended, to <laughs> actually hear more from BIPOC people working in that space specifically. So I want to actually do a whole segment on death and dying, so I'm, I may hit come hit back hit around to you. Yeah. Also
1: like in the last year, I've been in this course actually like training around chaplaincy. Ah. Um, I got to start this program um, with Still Harbor, a spiritual direction program, and it specifically um, focused on BIPOC, trans, and queer people. Wow. Um, and like
0: yeah, so we can. We can. Yeah, I'm gonna come back around. Okay, we're gonna come back to that.
1: Mm-hmm. So,
0: something I want to point out to the listeners, and of course, all of those reading your book, is that you choose to use the term birthing person, birthing people. I get it, but I'd like you to explain why that's important. Yes, yes,
1: because everyone that births is not a woman, um, and I know that's like really hard for people, right? And I understand that. So, you know, we can do a whole class right now on that. But when I say that, we also have to identify that there are trans people, there are non-binary people who are birthing, right? They have a uterus, they have, they put the, whatever they mix together, they have a baby, right? So when I'm saying birthing person, it's the acknowledgement of all the, the spectrums of people that give birth, right? And the thing that I also like to say that, include, you know, being inclusive is not to be exclusive, so what that means is when I come into a space, I say birthing people, but if I have someone that says I refer to myself as a mother, I'm like, oh, cool. Now I'm going to refer you in those terms. I'm going to use those terms that feel right to you, right? But the point of being inclusive and coming in that like birthing person approach is to give people the space to, ide- to self-identify, right? Absolutely. To not assume and to make space for everybody. And then when they tell you the specifics, then you get to the specifics,
0: Exactly, exactly. I love that because I haven't actually seen that done quite like that.
1: And I'm like, okay, I'm loving the inclusion here. That was good. But, but, you know, like, you know, in my book as well, like, there's BIPOC and then there's non BIPOC, right? Because I think right. a lot of times, like, we need to decenter whiteness, yeah. right? And, like, my book yeah. is talking about that, how we move through that together. So, even in language, it makes a difference to say, like, non BIPOC. And, you know, for the white folks in the space, how does that feel to not be centered? In that way, that's like a starting point of moving towards what we're aiming to move towards, which is collective liberation.
0: Right, right. Absolutely. So Birthing Liberation, How Reproductive Justice Can Set Us Free. How and when did you decide to write this book? And real quick, I want to find this out. Were you in San Diego at that time?
1: No, I wasn't. Okay, go ahead. I'll tell you. So I moved out of San Diego in 2019 um well actually january february 1st i moved to atlanta right of 2020 is that where you are now yes oh okay i did yeah. not know okay that's yeah, where i'm at because i'm always everywhere and nowhere to <laughs> the everywhere I um but yeah so wild enough like 2019 because of my my organization um birthday advocacy dual trainings it was growing and i was like okay i have to like focus on that. Like I need to like take a break from clients and focus on that. Not knowing that the the pandemonium was about to start, didn't know any of that. Right. And I actually moved to Atlanta. Like I literally made a decision like the end of December to move to Atlanta and move there February 1st. I'm a Sagittarius, double set, very fiery. If I want to do something, I just go, I don't care about nothing else. So, so (laughs) made that move. um, And then the pandemic started um, and the pandemic talking about death and dying. I had, in two weeks, I lost two of my grandfathers, a doula friend, and an uncle, right, all to COVID. And it was like a wild, wild time. And at that point, like, I was thinking about creating a book, but I wasn't really solid on what that book would look like. And then when I went through kind of that kind of, like, (laughs) you know, metamorphosis, if you will, um, I was like, okay, I'm ready to, I want to write a book now. Um, and also with the pandemic, like being inside, right? I'm an inside person anyway, but like being collectively inside. (laughs) Yeah. Right. It was like, it was, I I don't know, it was just time for me to write the book. And even in that process, I was still thinking small. Like I was thinking small in the sense of like, I didn't think that a publisher would pick up my book. I didn't think that a book agent would pick up my book. I, and there's nothing wrong with self-publishing. That's a good option. But for me, I was choosing self-publishing thinking that the other options wouldn't exist right um and so when i started working on my book coach and started like we put our you know put the proposal together and really thought out the book and i was like oh i really like this is a thing so we put it out and i just had those you know people like you're not gonna hear from a book agent for six to eight weeks if that like and i had a book agent in like a week two weeks are you right? kidding yeah and i had wow. like a few and i had like some like and i'm surprised there was some people that like Work with some people okay. that I was like, Oh, you're interested in me, right? Yeah. <laughs> the thing that I learned though was like, even though they were interested in me and they had like these connections with these big names or whatever, they wanted to change the direction of my book. And I didn't want to do that, right? And I was like, I don't want to make my book more palatable or more acceptable or I want to be myself.
0: More mainstream. I want to look
1: back at this thing I'm putting my name on and be like, Oh, I wasn't being me, you know? So I met my um, book agent, Laura Lee Mattingly. And she was dope. She was like, yeah, this is what you want to do. Let's do, let's do, do be even more of yourself. Wow. Right. So we did our revisions and then we started looking for publishers. And again, they were like, you're not going to hear back for six to eight weeks, whatever. I heard back from two in the first week. And, you know, also went with, I went with Chicago Review Press. Um, and they also, because they were like, be yourself. They also have books around mm-hmm. topics that I care about as far as like abortions and this and that. And so I was like, oh, this is where I need to be because I can be my full self.
0: Right. Felt like a good fit for you. Yeah.
1: I was like, Cause I can't be, I can't, I got to be me. Like, right. Like, right. i not a the book, then like be someone that I'm not, you know?
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. I love that. And that's encouraging for all of those who, all those folks who are still wanting to write something. It's like you said, I think so many times we think, oh, this isn't going to work. Or, you know, we sometimes forget, no we can, we can make these things happen. Right.
1: Yeah. And like, also someone's looking for what you're putting out.
0: Exactly. You exactly. don't know
1: that. yet, Cause every, everyone, you know, everyone's in a row. Like I wish this was here. I wish this was there, but it has to be that one person that's like, let me go do the thing.
0: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Black birthing people have the highest maternity mortality rate in the United States. Not unsurprising given all of the issues that we have, but it's still shocking in many ways. I was surprised to learn that black babies are more likely to die or be born prematurely, which may lead to all sorts of issues, health issues throughout life. I'm curious, based on your research on this book and just your experience, what's the cause of some of these disparities? And you allude to it a little bit when you're talking about reproductive justice, but yeah, yeah. Um,
1: you know, there's there's different factors. I think there's like we can go into you know obviously racism, and discrimination. In our healthcare system. Um, and I think, you know, when we think about that, we think about the ways that people are being treated and in interpersonal dynamics, right? A doctor not giving a Black patient all their options, uh, you know, someone not being listened to, and then they have these outcomes that they weren't listened to. And I think that is like, you know, very much one level of it, and it's very much an important level of it. But I think we can't miss out on also generational trauma and impacts, Right. Like when we think about literally how our bodies absorb trauma and how there's like levels of cortisol running through black bodies, which literally messes up the functioning of our systems. And then we're carrying children on top of that. <laughs> right. right, Like all those have impact. And then we think about, you know, the, the things that our families had to go through in the past. The things that we're aiming to, many of us are aiming to get better at, or correct, or move through, right? So it is this like obvious racism and discrimination, but to me, like I talk about that in a book, like there's also this conversation generational trauma, right? What does it mean to have been, you know, our great 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 grandmothers or whatever? Not many that many great, not that many greats away, but like to be to, for your parent to be a slave, right? <laughs> and to literally carry your body under an immense amount of stress. Right. And then maybe your your grandmother, the next parent wasn't a slave, but they were definitely under some conditions. They were still dealing with racism, segregation, not having enough resource, you know, like all of those things play a part. Right. How our bodies function and also in our landscape where our medical system was not built with the idea of helping black and brown and indigenous people.
0: Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like
1: we became a part of the system that was allowed to be there when it was like oh, we can be commodified. <laughs> right? Like come in here and have a baby because we can get paid off of this. There wasn't like it wasn't like we built this hospital system so that everyone can be safe and everyone can be healthy, right? It was like you're invited now because the reasoning will help us to build more money in our bank accounts. So when we think about all that together, I feel like that really is still impacting us to this day.
0: Yeah. No, that's good. I want to break it down a little bit. So there were kind of two pieces that you touched on. One is the sort of uh, uh, the, the racism that's causing some of those disparities. And then the second part is the generational trauma. So in terms of the racism-based um, sort of uh, issues faced by birthing people, I was really moved by Rena's story in your book. And uh, first, in a minute, I would like you just to maybe just give us a little snippet of what that story is. And I'm curious would you say that Rena's story is representative of what many birthing people experience when they see non BIPOC doctors?
1: Yes. So a little bit of Rena's story is that Rena is a first time mother, she's supported by her partner, her male partner, her mother. Um, she's going into a very normal birthing experience. She's very healthy. Everything's like you know good in that way. Um, but in the time that she's in the birthing process, there's some complications. Um, a C-section is needed. But in that in the in the book, you kind of move through different elements of like what she's experiencing, what the partner is experiencing, what the doctors experiencing, and all these things. Um, and then at the end of the book, you see a Recalibration of that story, including the pieces that we talk about in between those pages (laughs) from the beginning to the um, end of the book. Um, And so one of the things that I've had people ask me, like, was this a specific story of a specific person? Right. And I'm like, no, this accumulation of stories of many people. Right, because this situation is not abnormal. <laughs> like, this situation, even though, like, reading it, you're like, wait, what happened? She's bleeding out. This is a postpartum. She had to, like, this happens. I've seen it happen. I mean, you experience
0: you know, I've, it yourself.
1: Yeah, like, I've, you know, <laughs> like, yeah. I've, spaces I've listened to for my own health conditions, right? And, and I'm a dude, do- and I know, like, I've been in these spaces, right? So, that is arena is an accumulation of stories that are unfortunately frequent, right? They shouldn't be normal. They shouldn't happen on a regular basis. They shouldn't happen at all. But these are the stories that I hear all the time. These are stories that I've witnessed. And it's also been, you know, a part of my story of being ignored and being, you know, seeing many doctors mean, so, oh, you're fine. And they're fine. Like, I'm actually not fine.
0: Right. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And so when we look at the generational trauma piece of it, that one is a little bit more sticky, you know? So I've had lots of conversations around generational trauma. Um, I've been trying to kind of deal with my own stuff over the years in terms of that healing, right? And so it's challenging. So I'm curious, in your work as a doula, particularly someone who is taking this very holistic approach, kind of almost from death to die and everything in between, right? How do you begin to sort of broach those topics with your, and by the way, is the proper term patient or client? I say client. Client. So when dealing with clients, how do you, when you sense that there could be some of that that trauma, is that something that is comfortable for you to say, hey, <laughs> I'm maybe detecting a little bit of... Well,
1: yeah. you're like, oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> So for me, generally, those conversations start in the prenatal phase, right? Like, when we're getting to know each other. And those conversations, I'm not naming, like, oh, there's trauma, right? Things that I may say is, um, an example would be, how do you want a parent, right? And they may say, you know, I want, let's say, gentle parent, because people are, you know, familiar with gentle parents to some degree. I want to be a gentle parent. I really... You know, I don't want to yell at my kid, and, the, and then this other part comes. I don't want to yell at my, my kid because I was yelled at a lot, mm, mm-hmm. right? I don't want to spank my kid because I was spanked, and I remember how that made me feel, right? So you start hearing these things around how they want a parent, and you. I'm gonna
0: wear his tail out because that's what <laughs> my mama did,
1: <laughs> right? And you may also have that, right? Like I'm gonna do this because this is what was taught to me, right? And so in those questions, I may say, you know, depending on what the response is, well, how did that make you feel? When you were a kid, when it was wearing your tail out, how did it make you feel, right? And at that point, you had to meet people where they are. So it was not like I'm aiming to be judgmental, I'm aiming to be whatever. I'm just trying to understand what is your thought process, right? And then I may also ask the question of how were you parented, right? And how's your relationship with your parents? And I ask that because one let me tell you, it's been many, many times where I'm in the birthing space with someone and a parent is there and a disruption is very clear. <laughs> right? Like, when you are in a birthing process and even the people that are, everything is very raw, right? Like, what should be hidden, when we're all calm and chill. You can't really hide that when it's babies, contractions, this, that, you know, all sorts of urges. It's, it's like, all coming this, out. This if we don't have that conversation prior to, Right. And I like to have, like, I have a a conversation with my clients and I like tell my um, students to do this conversation called a dress rehearsal. Um, And a dress rehearsal means let's think about all the people who are on your birth team, as far as like your family, your friends, all of that. And what I want to know, what's your relationship with them? How is it? So if someone says, "Um, My mom is the sweetest thing. I love her. I feel so supported by her. When she's there, it makes me feel, you know, ready for the world. Then I'm like, Okay, well, let's. Let her know that she's going to be right there at the birth when it happens, because she's going to be someone that when you look at her, it helps you get through these rough times. The birth is not easy. Right. But if I have someone say my mom is overbearing, she tells me she thinks she knows it all. She da da, da And she's coming to the to the birth. I'm like, Ooh. <laughs> let's think about this. Is there a different part that she can play? Right. Could she be the person that stays at home and cooks your favorite meal? while you're in the birthing process? Could she be the person that your partner texts and she texts the rest of the family, let them know the updates. What is the part that she can play that will be helpful to you and not harmful to you in this space, right? And so for me, just having those conversations, you see threads, <laughs> right? And sometimes like as people move through, especially postpartum, people start to be like, whoa, this is this is not it, right? They start to be like, I can't, have this relationship with my parent because now I'm a parent, right? They start to see how these things are reflected and how they, how they, you know, how their body coils when they see their parent. And then, you know, from there, either, you know, give them some resources or we may move through some things together. Um, but it's not something that you have to be like, there's trauma going on, right? <laughs> like, it's like, okay. Right. Guess, you know? And, like, just in general, in that time when someone is like moving through different reproductive health experiences, like, my role as a doula is to be there for them, right? So, as well as I'm there for the family in a sense of like, hey, you know, I want to support y'all and educate y'all, but my main focus is that birthing person. And so, with that relationship and that trust and that, you know, that honoring of them, all the things come out for better or worse. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Again, yeah, I really like that. I've been so at birth, where I'm
1: like holding the grandmother because the grandmother's crying. Right. <laughs> you know, like, like the grandmother is starting to move through, you know, her feelings about her birth and this and that happened. And I'm like, oh, you need a hug.
0: Yeah. Okay, yeah.
1: You didn't realize that this was on your heart until you saw your child going through this process. Now I need to process some things with you and hold you so that now you can show it for your child. It's like, it's a whole thing.
0: I love that, though. I do. And I can see you're built for this work. And I'll tell you something else in the book that I found interesting. Because the book, informative, uplifting in many ways, I actually left, in spite of everything that's going on in this crazy world, I left feeling hopeful, particularly around that whole piece around collective liberation, which we'll get to in a moment. But there are parts that are difficult to read when you're looking at trauma, right? Sure. And something that you do in the book is you invite the reader to kind of stop at certain moments and you invite them to kind of check in, see what's going on in their body, These somatic exercises, which I thought was wonderful. I mean, I call them body scans, like with meditation. And I was like, I, that it, it really is like, it gives us just a permission, if you will, to just like pause and to take in what we've just listened. And sometimes we may need to put it down for a little bit as well. Right. I'm curious
1: because
0: sometimes when we're reading books that are good and informative, it's like hard hitting. And it's like, it just doesn't let up. Is that something it's probably a silly question now, but is this something that came out of your training? Is that just something that came out of some other training you had in terms of practice or.
1: So that came from, that's a good question though. Not a silly question. Actually really good question. So in my work as a doula, um, one, just like being an actual doula, being in space, I've learned that when you come into a doula stuff in the beginning, you're like, I got to have all my essential oils and all my this and I have all that and I got to be ready to do the hip squeezing and the things. And you learn very, at least for me, you learn very quickly that sometimes what your work is, is to be silent and to just be present right? Like I've had clients where they just literally want to lay in the bed while they're moving through contractions and they just want to be able to look at, look over and see that I'm there, right? It's nothing about <laughs> like, I got to be the most active or say the most things, right? So there's something around like, as a dual learning, this level of my power is my presence, Um, is not just what I say or how I physically move or what I have. It's like, I'm here to support you, even in your silence, right? Um, and so that's something that has learned has taught me to slow down, right? And so then on top of that, like you know, I have learned about somatics and learned about these different contributing things that have helped me, right, as a person and. Again, like what I teach a lot, like I teach a lot. (laughs) So, you know, like in in my teaching spaces, I have set up ways of being that a lot of my students are not used to. Um, For example, I just started my doula training that I teach um, yesterday. And being in space with them and telling them, hey, we're going to be here for two hours, give or take. And if you want to be on the screen and you want to be like writing down notes, cool. If you want to turn off the screen, and lay down cool <laughs> like right if you come as you are into this space and take your time if something feels particularly triggering and you need to breathe through it cool if you're like this is too much for me today cool right like that's the way that I rock in my in my life like I don't expect perfectionism I don't do I don't expect any of that cuz I feel like the pressure of that performing being a good student <laughs> like performing being being the fastest reader performing being, you know, the best activist, right? That actually gets in in the way of you doing that actual work. <laughs> like you're performing so much that you're not actually doing it, right? So when it came to my book, I was like I want to give people permission to take their time. <laughs> like I want to give them permission to not only logically understand the history of what reproductive justice and the history of this and like because people understand that. I'm like, no, I want you to feel it. Right? Because that's really the way that our bodies know things. <laughs> it's by feeling it. So I'm like, I want you to feel it. I want that to connect on a level beyond the brain. Cause a lot of us are working on brain awareness, which is why some of us are still for real, like, we know all this information. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, we know all this information, but we haven't embodied it for real. You know what I mean? So for me, I was like, I want you to practice that. And if this could be, you know, maybe it starts with this book. But hopefully, then it begins to be a part of your life, right? So that when your partner is saying something to you, you're not just understanding it. You know, you know, on a logical, you're like, oh, I feel that.
0: You feel it, right?
1: Yeah. Like when my child is talking to me, I feel that, right? that to me that's the real thing. Cause the next time when you're about to, you know, maybe be an asshole, you start to remember that feeling of like, that didn't feel good. Right. So that's like what I wanted to introduce into the book is like permission to take your time, permission to feel permission to just be permission to put something away and come back to it. I didn't want people to like read my book and then regurgitate it word for word and just like, Oh, I know this. I, I have a certificate of understanding reproductive justice. I'm like, I don't really want that. I mean, So if it takes you five years to read the book, but that means that you become this better version of yourself in five years. I want that versus you read it in a month and you still are on this robotic movement forward, if that makes sense. Exactly.
0: No, it does. It does. And, you know, as you were just speaking, I think what it also does, it helps when you're talking about, you want people to feel it. I think that when people feel it in their bodies, it creates an opportunity to kind of deepen empathy is to really think about what that other person, this group, whatever it may be experiencing. And I think that's where- and
1: It grows capacity for nuance too. Yeah. Right? Because like, you know, in the book, I talk about like, for example, like in order for us to get to like collective liberation, like people who are privileged have to share their power. But I also have a somatic exercise of like, it feels weird. Sometimes you're like, I don't want to share that. Right. <laughs> right? I don't want to do that. Look, I know it's the right thing to do logically, but in my body, I don't want to do that, right? So, like, I want you to have that contradiction. I want you to notice that contradiction of, like, mentally it feels right, body doesn't feel right, but how do I get my body and my mind to match, right? Like, I want you to have, I just want you to move through that and, like, not not just have this performance of, like, it's the right thing to do, so we do it and then it, like, no, like, feel that. Because it right. does feel comfortable. It does. uncomfortable. Liberation is uncomfortable. comfortable.
0: right. Right. Absolutely. To that point, you know, it's interesting. So, I do a lot of work in inclusion. And in your book, Birthing Liberation, you actually reference, and earlier in the conversation, you reference Professor, you know, Loretta Ross. And they actually give a little nod to her work with kind of calling in versus calling out. I'm curious when you are kind of moving in these different spaces, dealing with different clients and other. Professionals in this space What does calling in Look like because we know what calling out Looks like right <laughs> so I mean What does calling in like Maybe just give an example like what that Might look like for you in your space
1: Man That is such and it's such it's such a Practice because sometimes you're <laughs> like For real like, right. you know, <laughs> like Sometimes it's just Like we can just not Do this right? right like we can just I can just ask you out and we can just Right, it, right. Right. <laughs> um, but, you know, like I talked about, like, you're not liberated unless I'm liberated and vice versa. And also, like, my understanding of this work, for my personal self is that I do this work for people who don't know they're not free either. You know, like I want I want to do the work for the person who doesn't realize that if my rights are taken away, that impacts you as well. Right. Because there there's a level of empathy and compassion that I aim to have not in a way to make me unaware of someone just being pure ass evil. Right. <laughs> but I really do truly think that all of us are a product of our, of our environment. Like all of us are dealing with trauma. Like I do, I truly do think that, like, I think, you know, when I look at, you know, especially our political climate, right. Like you said, like, what is happening? Um, <laughs> Like it's easy to look at the person who, you know, hates a Black person or, you know, hates queer people or is fighting for this agenda against trans people, all this stuff, like, it's easy to be like, let me just cancel you and just be out, right? And, of course, I have my boundaries. That don't mean I have to personally interact with you, right? Because I have to do what's good for my mental health. But for me, I have an understanding that that type of action comes from a fear of being erased, right? It comes from a fear of what if I'm not seen anymore, Right. What if I don't have this? Right. And I think if we think about what we're all operating in, especially in the U.S. and, and, and anywhere, is capitalism. Right. We're all and that's the, that's we're all we have this all learned that you have to be the best, the better, the most in order to be valuable. Right. And I think specifically in people that are not coming from um, BIPOC communities. Right. Like we've learned to not have a lot and, and see and value each other on who we are. Right, but white supremacy don't teach that. White supremacy is you have to have the most, be the best, be the be the one that can interrupt the most if you want, and then your power is in that, right? So for me, having that awareness doesn't mean that I'm like, let me coddle you. <laughs> right? For like the 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 things that you may skew, the evil things that you may skew. but it's for me to have the compassion, right? And also have my personal boundaries and how I move along with that. Um, and so like for me it's like there's also this thing, I forgot where who said it, but it's like you just gotta keep doing the work. <laughs> you know, and like for me, I don't spend a lot of blessing like, I'm always infamous to telling people like you don't see me on social media and be like, This person is bad, this person is this, this person is that. I don't I don't put my energy towards that, right? Because whoever's gonna be on my path. It's going to be on my path. And I feel like it's easier to impact someone positively by just letting them see the work that you're doing and how that brings in so much joy in your life, so much happiness, so much community. And a lot of times I feel like people who may have had negative thinking, they start getting on t- Like, dang, I wish I had that much community. I wish I had people that cared about me like that. Or I wish, you know what I mean? Versus me being like, you're a terrible person. Like, I don't have time for that. <laughs> like so for me it's like I just put my my compassion where I can put my compassion. I kind of set it and forget it. I also know that not everything is personal. Like Absolutely. a lot of that what you're putting towards me is your own personal thing that you need to work on. But I'm just a good way for you to put it out, right? So I don't take things personal. I do my work, I'm in my community, and that's what I do. You know what I mean? Exactly.
0: Exactly. <laughs>
1: i will be fighting all day all
0: day all day
1: and trauma and stuff like that even being in that fight response all day that's yeah. tiring that's exhausting exactly. and it doesn't just cut off like I feel like when people are always in that fight response that like you know and that's a trauma response right to always be in that to feel like I have to fight against every bad person in the world that's exhausting and it carries in your personal life too so now you have no time where you can just be like and I don't want to. I don't want to consume that. I don't want that to be who I am. Exactly. So a lot of times I tell people like, you might see me super active in some ways, and other times you want to see me mia in the woods somewhere in <laughs> nature minding my business. Minding right? your business, exactly. <laughs> it has to be a balance, right? Like yeah. I have to also like, as I'm doing this work to aim for collective liberation, I also still have to act on my liberation.
0: Absolutely. Right,
1: and my liberation requires that I don't my in my fight mode all day.
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, I love that. I agree with you there. Just why well, put all that energy into that, you know? But one of what the I things you I'm do, right, right. Yeah, <laughs> that's okay. One of the things you do in your book that I love, and at a time, particularly because I don't know if you agree with this, I think that something broke, if you will, in 2020. Not just with the pandemic, but with the sort of racial reckoning and just everything no, since. Hurt. Right, <laughs> right, and so. Okay. I think that we're living in a climate where there now there's all this pushback to any work that's inclusive, right? Anything that's – and so it's really easy to be very pro-Black, pro-BIPOC. But something that you do in your book, I find – I thought it was really beautiful that it seems that you hold some space for non-BIPOC people, right? You even talk about that uh, – uh, uh, some of the trauma. Right? That not just that we as BIPOC people experience, but non BIPOC people as well. And we don't often see that talked about. So I (laughs) thought that was really good. I thought it was good because, particularly someone such as yourself who's really aiming for this collective liberation, I think we have to hold space for non BIPOC people too. And so I'm curious, you actually, again, another invitation to the reader to imagine what collective liberation might look like can you just talk about that for a moment yeah. That, yeah yeah
1: so i think like the way that i can really put how i see the world is that i definitely see our differences right when it comes to race and gender and the way we identify like i think we're in a world where we are bringing those things to light like how do i identify what is it what does that intersectionality mean to me um and i definitely you know i teach about intersectionality all day because that's gonna be the way that you interpret a situation, your perspective, right? Like all these things are very important. Um, but I also think that it's important to bring in a commonality. Um and the commonality is humanity, right? Like, and I don't think that I think that gets lost sometimes because we're like, I'm this and you're that and I'm this and you're that and I'm like, those are very important. I talk about those things all day, right? But at the end of the day we're all humans <laughs> and we're all aiming to survive um in this world, right? So for me, it was important to bring that level of humanity, right? To say that we are all impacted by all of this. <laughs> like, we're all impacted by racism. We're all impacted by capitalism. We're all impacted by, you know, transphobia. We're all impacted by these things. And I think specifically with, with white folks, it's like, traditionally, at least like in my time of existing, like... There's this understanding that if we're working on these causes, whatever these causes are, that white people are helping, right? They're helping. And I think sometimes that doesn't motivate people to really get where they need to get because it's like I'm just helping, so that's optional. <laughs> right? like I'm just helping. Um, but I think as humans, sometimes we have to really understand how does this impact me directly so that I understand that I'm not helping, right? I'm actually a part of a movement that's gonna be good for myself for my community, for my kids, for my kids' kids, for, right? Like, I think there has to be an understanding that white people are also, they're traumatized by racism as well. Mm -hmm. And when that conversation is left out, it just leaves white people in a space of like, oh, I can opt in to help or not help. And it's like, no, there is no opt in. (laughs) This is the work that you need to be doing. Not only for me, because I'm the black person, you feel like I'm deprived of whatever the case may be, but because you're the white person and you're deprived too right Right? so that for me was like super important and i you know in that way of thinking i'm always like i'm like is that controversial right like because i'm like (laughs) but for me it's like i really see humanity yeah
0: yeah yeah i love that that's inspiring i'm curious you are queer and clearly black working as a doula Or? Yeah. Right. <laughs> I see it, girl. But here's the deal. I would imagine now, like more than ever, it's just like it seems like it would be a wonderful time to be doing the work that you're doing. In terms of that representation, because I think about all these birthing people over the years, particularly BIPOC, right, or queer, who they had to work with folks who may not have had that kind of shared experience. And so now we see someone kind of young and fresh and clear about their intentions and also queer and black. I mean, that what's that been like for you?
1: It's been pretty wild, to be honest. Like, I feel like I had my head in work for the last, since 2000, you know, I started 2015 as like a doula. I started working for myself in 2018. And then since then, I've built like my organization, BDT, my organization for the village, like all these things that I've done because, you know, I'd be liking to get to the work. Because <laughs> I like to mind my business and do my work. So, in that sense, so I feel like the last several years since 2018 has been nonstop of me working, right? Like, of me. Doing a thing and like not even really too worried or too or looking for so much confirmation and like what it means to be visibly black and visibly queer and visibly um myself, right? Um, and so during the years, I've heard like of course, I've heard compliments on that, I've heard people like connect to that, but I don't really think for real that I realized what that has meant for people till this year, um, and that process has been because of my book, because with my book I started doing, you know, live, you know, book readings or book events and talks and like really meeting people that have been supporting my work sometimes from the very beginning, right? And so in that I'm like I remember like I went to this book event and I'm thinking okay people gonna like you know I signed the book we talk about the book we like do 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 and I remember this one person was like you helped me connect to my mom because of this workshop that you did around doula, whatever. And I was like, huh? <laughs> like That wasn't, she was like, yeah, now me are, are like closer because of the conversation that we had based on that. And we're building this thing together, right? And like, and like just having people come to me and be like, you know, you've been outspoken or you've been like black be black, you ain't change up. Like you have showed me like, one of the people that um, was on my team this happened yesterday too, was like a whole emotional moment, okay? Um, <laughs> one of the lead teacher that's um, the co- my co lead teacher in my organization, BADT, her name is Mystique. And Mystique was actually a BADT student about two years ago. So she came into the space as a BADT student and now she's a teacher, right? Like leading the space that she was a you know, student in. And we were talking yesterday in our space with all of our students, and she was like, "You don't realize how many lives that you've changed." Like, and I'm one of them. And it like sat with me around. She was like, "And I read like the status that she put up, and she was saying like, I, I was in this space where I was too black. I was too this. The way I talked wasn't enough. My locks weren't enough. My this wasn't enough, right? And then I came into this full spectrum doula training as a teach as a student, and was like, look at this black queer person." doing whatever they want to do, <laughs> right? And now I'm a teacher in that space doing whatever I want to do, right? And so, like, it really has just been coming to me in this last year of, like, what what I represent for people, how it has pushed them to be radically themselves, how it has pushed them to not question their authenticity or, like, who they are, like, to be even more of it. Um, And that's something that I'm only seeing because I'm starting to, in this year, slow down. I'm actually planning for a sabbatical this winter, Um, but it's like the first time in my life where I'm really intentionally slowing down and now I'm able to hear and see in a way that I wasn't, because before I was like, I got to do the work. There's so much work to be done. And now I'm like hearing it and I'm like, oh, wow. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's wild. I'm just like, I'm like, I was just born and I came into the world and I like, I just refuse to be less of myself because it's exhausting. I didn't necessarily know that it would impact people in this way. Me being myself was a reflection of being in corporate spaces, not allowing to, to do it and having to deal with so much racism and having to deal with so much mistreatment and having to deal with being fired and like having to deal with all these things. That was my personal journey, and why I've, you know, decided to be a hundred percent myself. And now I see how I was impacting others.
0: Your book, it really is, has inspired me to be. I'll get a little closer to the true, like the heart of the work that I'm wanting to be doing. So I thank you for that.
1: Thank you. I think evolution yeah. is something that we don't often feel like we have permission to do. Yeah. You know, especially like in the work when you're working with. At least for me, I don't know. When you're working with very like um mission driven work, I think sometimes, like if you're doing like, you know, work for BIPOC communities and this down, and the other, like it can sometimes feel like yes, you're working your authenticism, but the evolution, like things change, things shift. And like just being able to to do that and be like, it's okay for me to evolve, it's okay for me to shift, it's okay for me to switch, it's okay for me to do that. And like, yeah, I just want to be a living example
0: of that. Sabia, 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 thank you so much for carving out this time, sharing some space with me, you know, educating us about uh, reproductive liberation and collective liberation and uh, some steps that we can take toward that.
1: Thank you. And we have to, obviously, you have to hit me up so we can talk about death and dying and
0: no absolutely absolutely so look i thank you so much for your time and i look forward to reconnecting soon okay
1: thank you
0: okay okay so i hope you enjoyed this episode of come through black sheep Please spread the word. Go to comethroughblacksheep.com to learn more about exclusive content, sponsorships, and other ways you might support. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and wherever else you get your podcasts. Thanks so much and see you soon.